I'm a new creature in Christ. All those old things are passed away. Everything is brand new. Father, I pray that you'll allow that to become a reality in our lives tonight. Whatever that area of bondage is tonight, Lord, I pray that by faith we'll be able to say, I no longer am a slave. Christ has set me free. I don't have to cower and go back in the corner and be defeated anymore. I can step forth and say, I am a child of God. I am a king's kid. I have authority. Satan, you have no more authority over me in Jesus' name. And I'm not going to let this thing continue to destroy me. In Jesus' name, I declare victory over this. I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I wonder if any tonight could say, Pastor, the enemy's had me on the run because of doubt and unbelief in the past, but I, wanna, I want the Lord to cause that faith to well up in me to be able to stand on and believe and receive this truth tonight. It's already been paid for. It's completed. It's already done for me, and I, by faith, want to receive the fact that I don't have to respond to the flesh anymore. I only have to respond to the Spirit. Pray for me tonight. Anyone? Yes. Yes, I see that. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, you see these hands tonight. You see these hearts tonight. I thank you for everyone that's here. In Jesus' name, I pray that this will become such a reality in our life that we'll go through life every day saying, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Lord Jesus, take up your throne. Take control. Fill this temple. Let me walk in the Spirit so that I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And by faith I claim right now that I am free. You have set me free. I'll not cower. I'll not run anymore. I'll stand up and say, I have been redeemed. I'm a child of God. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. I pray that tonight, those that raise their hand, that right now you'll do that work of sanctification in their life. Whatever that area of bondage is, Father, in Jesus' name, we bind the strong man over them. Every principality of power, every ruler of the darkness, every wicked spirit, we break every inherited spirit off of them in Jesus' name and cast them to the ground. And right now, because of their willingness in their own heart tonight, say, Lord, that's sin, and I don't want it in my life anymore. That's bondage. I don't want it in my life anymore. In Jesus' name, Father, I just ask you to set them free from that area of bondage, that stronghold. We tear it out right now in Jesus' name. And I pray that you will put the power of the Holy Spirit in that area of their life where they're going to see a difference. They're going to see a change in their life completely. Father, for every area where there's been bondage in our lives right now, we renounce it as sin. We acknowledge it as sin and declare that we don't have to obey these things anymore. We want to obey you. And by faith, we receive that truth. And I pray that we walk out, we'll be practicing it every moment. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We'll remember that as of as this morning, we're speaking on the sixth biblical certainty. My activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. My activity. What I do influences others because I'm my brother's keeper. I can influence people for good or I can influence people for evil. And accordingly, I will be rewarded because the Word says that we're to be examples unto the believer in all manner of living so that when others look at us, they can see little Christ. Where they can say, if, they, if, if you want to know what is a Christian, they can point at us and say, that's a Christian. And that's a big order, but that's exactly what God expects us to be able to have said of us.
because we've been born again of his spirit. Now, in talking about this, we've been talking about principles of Christian love. The principles of Christian love. What principles are involved if my life is to be an example unto believers? What questions should I ask myself when I'm starting to walk in my daily walk? The principles of Christian love. The first one we said this morning, first question is, will what I'm about to do have a tendency to enslave me? You remember the verse that we read from? It was found in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. I will not be brought under the power of any. The Living Bible said I can do anything I want to if Christ has not said no, but some of those things aren't good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I'll refuse to if I think they might get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. And that's what we talked about this morning getting caught up in something that we can't get free from, any Christian should easily be able to stop anything. And I said this morning, the Bible does not teach that the saint is not able to sin. The Bible teaches that the, that the saint is able not to sin because he's been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, tonight we want to talk about the second principle of Christian love. Will what I'm about to do help build up my body, my mind, and my heart? Again, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and the 23rd verse, chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful unto me, but all things edify not. All things are lawful unto me, for me, but all things edify not. We talked this morning about the fact that we are eternal spirits. Everyone here right now is going to live for eternity, somewhere. We have to choose where we're going to live for eternity. That's why we will never get older inside. Our bodies get older, but we don't get older. We are an eternal spirit. We have a soul, and our soul is our personality. The, your intelligence, your intellect, sensibility, your will. That's, that's the soul. And we live in a body. Now, because we live in a body, that body's going to give us trouble all the way along. And the Word of God tells us there are some things that are lawful for us, but that all of these things that we can do do not edify us as Christians. And we, we don't go around saying, have I got the right to do this, or is it, is it right to do this? Is there anything wrong with me doing this? Rather, we must say, is this profitable? Spiritually, is this profitable for me? You see, there are a lot of people that try to find right where the edge is. Have you ever seen people like this that call themselves Christians? Try to find the edge between the world and being a Christian, and they're always walking like this. Have you ever seen them? Walk right on the very edge of the world, seeing how close they can get and still not be a part of it. You've seen children, you said, now don't cross over that line and they'll go. Have you ever seen them do that? Or just get over here like this? Get their foot on? There are a lot of Christians that are like that. And the, the reason for it, they, they, they're just trying to find out where the boundaries are. And you know, God says, I'm going to let you set the boundaries. There are a lot of things that you can do and I can do, but if it's not profitable for us spiritually, we decide we won't do it. And Paul the Apostle talks about eating meat or drinking wine or any other thing. He said, if in doing so, I cause some weaker brother to stumble. I won't do it. But we are a spirit. We have a soul. And we dwell in the body. And you see, there are a lot of things that are lawful to us what I eat. How many of you know if you want to, it's lawful for you to sit down and eat a whole pie or a whole cake? I'm going to assure you it's not too edifying for you to do it, but you could do it. Or a whole pecan pie. 
I mean, it's very, very rich, but it's not edifying for you. You might do it for long, and it's going to show it. You're going to pay if you do it. So there's a physical aspect of, yes, can you do it? Yes. But is it edifying for you? There are habits that people get involved in. Can they do it? Sure. Legally, if you want to do it, go ahead. But there's a price to be paid. And if in doing it, you're going to cause somebody else to stumble, then it's not profitable for you to do it, and it doesn't edify you. What you think. And you know, we can talk about that for a long time. I preached a series years ago on the renewing of the mind. You and I, sooner or later, become what we think. That's why we have to be very careful what we open ourselves up to. If you listen to suggested things, if you listen to immoral things on a constant basis before long, that's what your mind will begin to mull over all the time. If you're thinking about money all the time and you're just always wanting more money and wishing you could have this or wishing you had to begin to covet after things, before long you're, you become a covetous person. Why? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. Now, is there anything wrong about thinking, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a different car, a new car. Nothing wrong with it unless it possesses you. If you say, Lord, if you want me to have it and if it's something I can use for your honor and glory, fine. But where it gets like, I don't care what happens, I've got to have a brand new car. You have to be very, very careful because these things, although they're legal, they're lawful for us. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't go out and work extra hours just to get a car, but we have to find out what's the motive for it. And in getting it, will it be actually edifying for me? Will it help me spiritually? Or will I begin to get pride in my heart? Say, God, I thank you. I'm not as these other people driving those little Volkswagens. <laughs> we have to be careful what we feel. We can have feelings toward other individuals. Whether they're hurtful feelings, they may just be a little bit of jealousy. You see, whenever we allow ourselves the freedom to think what we want to think, we have to be careful of the doors that we open. I've known of people who have been jealous of someone else, and before long, a stronghold is set up in their life. And they become a jealous person. Not just toward that one person, it begins to affect other people. And that thing begins to get a hold of them and control them. And touch them. You see, it's, there's nothing uh, illegal, that, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't uh, look at someone else and say it'd be nice to be able to do what they're doing, but you have to back off and say, but if God wants me to do that, then I'll thank the Lord for it. But I'm not going to sit here and be jealous of them. I have to be careful of what I think. I have to be careful of what I feel. And I have to be careful of what I say. We want to talk about that tonight a little bit more because when I speak, what I speak affects me negatively or positively. The Word of God over and over again says we have to be careful what we speak and how we speak and what we say. Now I want to ask you to think about it for a moment. What do you say to yourself? You say, I don't talk to myself. Come on, get real. Everybody talks to themselves. That's not the problem. It's when you start answering yourself, I guess you have a problem. <laughs> but everybody, I mean, how many times you walk like, oh, what in the world's the matter with me? Why didn't I see that? How many of you talk to yourself like that? You see, and a lot of times you can be walking along and you'll talk to yourself about somebody else. And you'll think about somebody else and all of a sudden you begin to just turn inside because of what you thought about something else. Or you might feel bad because you don't have something that you thought you think you should have. Or somebody has mistreated you and you begin to say things. For example, you might have problems with your finances. Now, I'm not talking about putting a, a, a Cadillac up on your refrigerator or a million dollar picture of a million dollars in the refrigerator and begin to confess that that's yours. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm not talking about positive confession here. I'm talking about saying what the Word of God says. If you come to the end of the month and you're running short of your bills and you've been faithful as a steward and you've been tithing of your, of your income to the Lord and giving offerings above and beyond that and you come up short at the end of the month, you can say, 
I thank God that my needs are already met. My God will either give me another job or he'll send in the finances. He'll make it another way for it to happen. But he will provide for me because he said, if I'm faithful to him, my God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Oh, he say, oh, what am I going to do? My goodness, I'm going to go under. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to lose everything. And all that turning going around inside of you, and it'll affect you spiritually. If you say that I am not going to be able to meet my needs, and you've been faithful to God, you say you can't, you're calling God a liar. Because he said, my God shall supply all you need according to the riches and glory of Christ Jesus. I've seen people get a little pain here, and they go think, oh, my goodness, I wonder if that's probably cancer. Oh, I, I just know there's got to be cancer in there. That, you know. Oh, I, I, I just feel that hardness. It's got to be cancer. And you know they talk themselves into it. Now what if it is cancer? What is the best thing that can happen to a Christian? Go and be of the Lord. But you notice how some people fight it? <laughs> some people say, oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. And then you say, you know, you've got six months to live. Oh, glory for me. I don't want to get into it an awful lot tonight, but I think it's very careful. The Bible tells us that we have to speak to ourselves. In fact, it says in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, look at it. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Why? That edifies you. When you sing to your, speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual what do you mean? Well, you can say, you know, I, today I just feel like there's no one around. I just feel like I'm lonely. I feel like nobody else cares. And, and I really feel lonely today. Or you could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his main sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the Lord is with me today, and those two dogs back there, goodness and mercy, are following after me, protecting me from the hindsight. Bless God, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Now, you and I have the choice of what we're going to do. We don't have to do that, it's not required. But if we don't, it's not going to edify us. We say what the Word says. If you say, I'm poor, Jesus said, you're rich. If you say, you're weak, Jesus said, you're strong. So you and I have to choose who we're going to believe. All things are lawful to me, but not all things edify. Can I be negative? Certainly you can be negative. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. You begin to find out what the promises of God are and begin to confess the promises of God. Because the promises of God are yea and amen, not nay and, and oh, oh me. We've got to begin to confess what God says concerning some people go around depressed. Depressed. Oh, I'm so depressed. Why are you depressed? I just feel depressed. Well, the Bible says that he gives the oil of gladness for depression. He'll just pour on the oil of gladness. And so you can begin to sing, He has given me the oil of gladness. Go right on through that chorus. Begin to sing what the Word says. 
It can, it can change. It can transform you. I've seen people come say, I came to church tonight just feeling like the bottom and falling out. And I began to praise the Lord, and all of a sudden, I'm uplifted my spirit again. What happened? They just started thinking differently. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If we think poverty, we'll be in poverty. If we think prosperity, and we begin to say, God, you open the doors, you make the way, I'll do whatever I have to do. When I was in Bible college, I remember I, there were times I had one, two, and three jobs at a time. Every time I'd pray for money, God send another job. Other guys would pray for money, God send them money. I always got another job. But that's all right. Didn't make any difference. I still got my money. He evidently thought I needed to get rid of all that extra energy. But when I do that, I can say, Father, I want to be a blessing to others. You said you're able to make all grace abound toward me, that I, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work or have enough to give to others, too. Now, Lord, that's the desire of my heart. I want to be able to give to others. And I, I thank you. You've promised that to me in my word, in your words. So I'm going to stand on that, and I'm going to begin to believe you for that. I want to tell you something. There was a time when I was close to $100,000 in debt. And I still confess that. You're going to do that, Lord. I believe you're going to do that. I believe you're going to do it, Lord, and I thank you for it. You said it in your word. I'm going to believe it. I could have gone around saying, whoa, it's me. I'm going under. I can smell the charcoal, and I can smell the smoke. Here I go, right on down the line. And according to your faith, so shall it be unto you, the Bible says. According to your faith, so shall it be unto you. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's so important for us to understand. We've got to be careful what we say. We have to say what God says. If you want to destroy faith, just begin to feed that old flesh. Begin to let that old flesh get self-pity and woe is me and nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going out and eat worms, that attitude. Just, just do that. And before long, you'll be eating worms. Otherwise, you can begin to confess what the Word Look at Romans 10, 17, and you'll get a little picture of what I'm saying here. Romans 10, 17. So then faith, what? Cometh. You mean it's not always there? It's evidently not always there, but since faith cometh, is it? Does that mean it's not always there? If I say, uh, Clancy cometh, that means he's on his way here now. He wasn't here, but now here, here he cometh. Okay. Here he cometh, there he cometh, right down the driveway. He's not, he's not here now. But the Bible says, faith cometh. How does faith cometh? Now, if I want Clancy to cometh, I call his house and say, Clancy, come on over. And he, I say, here he cometh. And the Bible says, if you and I are going to have faith, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So what do we do? We go to the word of God if we've got a problem. We say, Lord, what do you have to say about this problem? And you begin to read it. Yeah, I've read that before. Well, read it again. Okay, I read it again. Read it again. Read it again. Now, here's my circumstance, but here's what you... And you have to begin to say, Lord, I know what my circumstances are here. I'm choosing to believe what your word says, and I'm going to meditate on that word. What does that really mean to me? And all of a sudden, gurgle, 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 up will come that little... Oh, I begin to believe God with it. And you hang on to a little tighter, and you find another verse. Oh, God says this, and God says this, and God says this. Regardless of my circumstances, what God says, God, I'm putting my trust in you. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. That's why it's so important that we hide God's word away in our hearts. Some people think, well, you know, it's kind of boring to read the Word of God. It is if you don't realize it's food for your soul, if you don't realize it's your defense, if you don't realize it's life to you. He said the Word is life. When you're going into a battle, you have to have a weapon. What is the weapon of the Christian? The sword of the Spirit, which is the 
word of God. You know what? Some people are trying to fight the devil and they haven't got any uh, anything to fight him with. You can't fight the devil if now I lay me down to sleep. You've got to know the word. You've got to state the word. Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Three times and Satan fled from it. So important for us to understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the word of God says. Now, when you say that, some people get defensive and say, well, not all things. God's word says all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, not all things. And you know, in the other regard, the Bible does say that we can do all things, and Paul says we can do all things, but not all things are what? All things edify not. And so I will refuse to do them because they don't charge my battery. What charges my battery? Getting into the Word of God, hiding the Word of God away in my heart. Beginning to read about other Christians' lives. Being challenged by what God has done in their lives in the past. And I build up my mind, I build up my spirit, I build up my heart. Because those things edify me, and I want nothing to do with what's not going to edify me. The third one. Will what I'm about to see, read, or do cause others to stumble over me? 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. 1 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. But when you sin against the brethren, against who? When you sin against the brother or the brethren, other Christians... It's possible to sin against other Christians, isn't it? To say things about them, to be hurtful toward them, be thoughtless toward them. When you, but when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against who? Hello? What does it say? You sin against Christ. If you, if you wound a brother, you're wounding Jesus Christ himself. He said, if you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to stumble, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to stumble. I want to read to you out of the Living Bible from Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. This is one of the most powerful portions of Scripture. I, I remember years ago when I was in pastoring up in Minnesota, teaching this to the young people, it transformed their lives. I went through this portion of Scripture word for word with them, and it changed their whole lives. Those young people, many of them today are out in the ministry, and many of them pointed back to this teaching from Romans, the 14th and 15th chapter, to change their lives. And by the way, this, this, this portion of Scripture is different from all things in moderation. It talks about our obligation to a brother or sister in Christ. It starts with verse 12 of chapter 14 of Romans. Yes, each of us, will give an account of himself to God. He says, we're going to have to stand before the Bema, the Bema or the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll answer for the works that are done in the body. So don't criticize each other anymore. Try instead to live in such a way that you'll never make your brother stumble by letting him see you do something he thinks is wrong. Not you think is wrong. You may think it's right. But don't let him see you do something that he thinks is wrong, Paul says. Powerful. If we do, we're sinning against our brother, we're offending him, and we're, we're offending Christ, it says here. As for myself, I am perfectly sure on the authority of the Lord Jesus that there's nothing really wrong with eating meat that has been offered to idols. But if someone believes it is wrong, then he shouldn't do it because for him it is wrong. And if your brother is bothered by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you go ahead and eat it. Don't let your eating 
ruin someone for whom Christ died. Isn't that powerful? Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Don't do anything that will cause criticism against yourself, even though you know that what you do is right. For after all, the important thing for us as Christians is not what we eat or drink, but stirring up goodness and peace and joy from the Holy Spirit. It's not so important what we eat or drink, he said. That's that's an unimportant fact of life. Some people live to eat, other people eat to live. We're supposed to eat to live, not live to eat. He said, don't let that control you or cause you to hurt someone else. If you let Christ be Lord in these affairs, God will be glad and so will others. In this way, aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't undo, this is a powerful little verse, don't undo the work of God for a chunk of meat. Remember, there's nothing wrong with the meat. But it's wrong to eat it if it makes another stumble. The right thing to do is to quit eating meat or drinking wine or doing anything else that offends your brother or makes him sin. You may know that there's nothing wrong with what you do, even from God's point of view, but keep it to yourself. Wow, what a portion of Scripture that is. I have read that and reread that and reread that. You may know that there's nothing wrong with what you do, even from God's point of view, but keep it to yourself. Don't flaunt your faith in front of others who might be hurt by it. In this situation, in this situation, happy is the man who does not sin by doing what he knows is right. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Well, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. Absolutely not. But if it causes a weaker brother to stumble, don't do it. Well, I have my rights too. No, you gave up all your rights at Calvary, Paul said. I mean, Paul had rights. He could say, hey, I like meat. I like wine. I can do it. No, he said, if, if it meant causing somebody to stumble, I'll put it away for the rest of my life. It's not that important. Happy is the man who does not sin by doing what he knows is right. But anyone who believes that something he wants to do is wrong shouldn't do it. He sins if he does, for he thinks it is wrong, and so for him it is wrong. Anything that is done apart from what he feels is right is sin. Even if we believe that it makes no difference to the Lord whether we do these things. Still, we cannot just go ahead and do them to please ourselves, for we must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of others, of those who feel these things are wrong. Let's please the other fellow, not ourselves, and do what is for his good, and thus build him up in the Lord. What a powerful portion of Scripture. That's different from all things in moderation. So he talks to both people. He says, those of you that are weak, don't criticize those that are strong. And you that are strong, don't flaunt it over the person that's weak. So it works from both sides. We're to be the neighbor. We're to go to them and try to help them any way we can. And if what we're doing does offend them, we don't do it when we're around them. Paul says, when I'm in Rome, I do as the Romans do. I try not to offend anyone. Wherever I go, I try to fit into their society, but I I won't do anything that I know I shouldn't do. But at the same time, I try to find out what they wouldn't do, and I try not to do that too. So we're constantly trying to fit in. Well, you have, a, you have a measuring tape. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, with virtue and praise, think on these things. That's what Paul talked about. Well, then we go back to number two. Well, what I'm about to do is help build up my body, my mind, and my heart. What I listen to will determine that too. I have a lot of people say, well, I can do that as a Christian, but I don't see the fruit in their life because they do it either. You know, we've talked a lot about some of the things that, are, that, that young people that are in churches today go to hear and go to see just flabbergast me. I mean, to look at a PG film today 
when I was a child, that was an R-rated, practically an R-rated film. Filthy language and suggestiveness. And I'll tell you something, I, I'm sorry, but you turn on your television on the major programs today, and you can have a funny program. I mean, uh, uh, all kidding and laughing, but they're going to get that that sexual implications in there all the time, low moral standards in there. They're putting that stuff through right and left. You see, they were attacked because of violence, and now they're moving over to where they're going to talk more about sex. But you're not going to quiet them down. They're planning. They got a planned schedule. They're going to move on, and they're they're still moving in that direction. And to sit there and to absorb that and absorb that and absorb that, it will affect us before long. Before long, we accommodate. Well, I don't listen. I don't hear this. I, you know, that, before long, it affects us. We have to be very, very careful. And there are other people. There are people that just really get offended if they walk in the house and you have a TV on. I know the time when I was sitting in the living room talking to someone, and someone came in and listened to the TV, and I wasn't even listening to it. And they went out and said something. You know, you know what the pastor was listening to? And they came in and said, "What were you listening to?" I, said, I don't know. I wasn't listening to it. I was talking to somebody. Well, they said there was cussing. I, said, I don't know. I wasn't listening to it. I. I just left it on because I thought they were looking at it over there. I didn't turn the thing off. We were just talking over in the side of the room. But, you see, I, that was an offense. And I wasn't, I wasn't sensitive enough. I should have just turned it off just for the fact that I was talking to someone else. But I thought, well, they're listening, so I won't pay attention. But they got up and left, and I turned it off. We have to be very, very careful how we affect others or have an influence on others through this. That's why we go back to conviction number two, or, or biblical certainty number two, my purpose in life is to seek God with my whole heart and to build my goals around his priority. I hope that this is thought-provoking for you. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we have to come to the place where we think, Lord, it does make a difference what I feel, what I think. My first question is, is it pleasing to you? And if it's pleasing to you, that's wonderful. But if my doing so causes a weaker brother to stumble then I will not take the privilege or the, the right to do that if it's going to affect someone else in a negative way. And if we do this, if we'll consider the weaker brother, God will honor us for that. How many of you know that whatever we have here on earth is not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed when we meet the Lord? What difference does it make, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? When you and I die, there's not going to be a U-Haul trailer behind the hearse. We don't take anything with us. I told you the man, the multimillionaire, put the bag of money in his attic up above his bedroom, thinking he was going to take it with him when he went on the way up. And two days later, after he died, his wife went up there and there was a bag of money. She said, I told him he should have put it in the basement. See, you don't take it with you. It just stays right there. A lot of us have a tendency to say, well, I'm just going to gather, 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 gather. But we have to be very, very careful how we think. We have to open our hands. I want to tell you something. You and I possess nothing. We own nothing. Whatever comes into our hands while we're here on this earth, we become responsible as stewards before God with it. And he says, well, answer in that day. How was we were faced? It's required. It's not suggested. It's required of a steward that he be found, what? Faithful. Required. The Bible says it's required of a steward to become faithful. Who's a steward? We're stewards. God places in our possession things that we're to use for his honor and glory. They say, well, you know, I just like to pile them up here a little bit. Why? Why are you building a, a, a house on a bridge? This is just a bridge over into eternity. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have anything. 
But it should be that when you do have something, it's totally dedicated to the Lord, and whatever He wants to do with it, it's up to Him. If He wants you to give it up tomorrow, release it. If you're hanging on to it and it's yours, then you're really going to lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it, but whoso keepeth his life shall lose it. We have to realize that. And that in itself is going to be a witness and a testimony of the people around us. I thank God for the witness we've had seen of many families in this church who have just dedicated and committed everything to the Lord. My children are the Lord, my wife's the Lord, my husband's the Lord, you know, my parents are the Lord, my finances, my talents, my abilities, my gifts are all the Lord. And if that's the case, then nobody can steal anything from us because we don't own anything. It all belongs to Him. May God give us the sensitivity to know what the Spirit of God wants us to do each day and keep our hands open and say, Lord, not, it's not just what I think is right, but in my operating from day to day, will I be a stumbling block to someone else? Lord, help me to be sensitive in that way that I won't be a stumbling block. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that we will be aware of the work that you want to do in our lives. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And we want things to be profitable in our life. Not just is it right, but is it profitable for the kingdom of God? Mentally, spiritually, physically, is it profitable? Father, I pray that you'll deliver us from any other attitude to realize and say what you said in your words. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I will glorify God in my body and in my mind and in my spirit, which are Christ. I'm not my own. Lord, we give back to you everything we possess, body, soul, mind, and spirit, all the things you brought into our lives, and ask in Jesus' name you'd make our spirits, very, our hearts very sensitive, very sensitive that we not offend other brothers and sisters around us, and that we honor and glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do and say. And Father, if there be any here tonight that the Spirit of God has spoken to, I pray that right where they are, right now, They'll confess to you whatever you put your finger on, whatever it may be. Lord, if they've been confessing poverty when you said that Jesus took our sin and made us righteous and he became poor that we might be rich. And he said he blessed Abraham in all things and that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's what you promised us, Lord. I just pray tonight that we'll begin to confess what your word says. We'll begin to experience it in a new and wonderful way. You said if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that right where we are tonight, we'll say, Lord, that was sin, and I'm sorry. I don't want it in my life anymore. I renounce it. And by the grace of God, I'm going to say what the Word says as best I know how. And I'm going to study to find out what you say on every one of these subjects that you put before me. And then I'm going to say what your Word says. Because I know that the Word of God is settled forever in the heavens. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your Word will never pass away. It's the sword of the Spirit. And that's my defense as I walk through this life. Let it be so in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. We've been talking about conviction or biblical principle number six. And if you haven't received, heard the other ones, they're all on tape. My activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. There are two basic theories or theologies 
in evangelical fundamental Reformation churches. Reformation churches. One is nothing should be done to excess. All things in moderation is actually what they say. More of your evangelical churches, more of your holiness churches go beyond all things in moderation. And come to this conviction, my activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. Now, when you get into this teaching, you're going to find rationalizations abound everywhere. Well, what, are, what if, or what about, or how about this? Or, you're trying to tell me this is bondage, this is legalism, this is... Let me tell you something. Anytime you try to curb the flesh, it's called bondage and legalism. Anytime you try to cause people to re- declare what the Word of God says and begin to operate in it, you're going to find people say, I don't like anybody to put any restrictions on me whatsoever. Let me tell you something. The minute you invited Jesus Christ in your heart, you have restrictions in your life. And that is, you're to be led by the Spirit of God, not by the flesh any longer. If you and I understand the biblical principles, I am not my own, I have been bought with a price, therefore I am to glorify God in my body, which is what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, but it's Christ. Paul says, I'm dead now. I no longer live. It's Christ that lives in me. Therefore, I'm to take these mortal limbs of mine, and whatever I do with them, they're to be used to glorify Jesus Christ. Not what I want to do, not what I enjoy, not what I feel like I want to be. Lord, what would you have me to be? We no longer live for ourselves, but live unto him who loved us and gave himself for us, is what the Word of God says. Very important thing for us to understand in my activities, my personal activities, my public activities, my emotional activities, my mental activities, all of them must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. I am my brother's keeper. In Romans, the sixth chapter, it tells us what happens when a person repents, believes in Jesus Christ, receives him as Lord and Savior, and confesses him as their Lord and Savior. Romans 6 says something takes place in the life of that individual that radically changes them from the inside out. Now, I said it is supposed to take place in the life of one, not one, just one who professes, but one who literally makes Jesus Lord of the life. Something happens. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. It automatically takes place. And I want to tell you something. I was one shocked person when I was a young man, and I invited Jesus Christ in my heart. I had no idea what all that entailed, but the next day I noticed I didn't respond to things as I had before. I didn't react. I could not do the things that I did before, and I had not even had Bible teaching on it yet, but something inside, something, as I called it then, something just wouldn't let me do these things. I've learned that something was the Holy Spirit inside. And you see, the Scripture says we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're to obey the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he'll come in and he'll teach us all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatever Christ said to us. Romans 6 tells us what happens when one comes to Jesus Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now some today, some even charismatics will tell you today that you're under grace and just anything you want to do, practically you can do it. That's not what the Word of God says. Shall we continue in sin? Let me tell you something. If it was sin before I got saved, it's sin after I get saved. Hello. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye, are you fully assured of this fact? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his, not his life, we were baptized into his death. We died with him. 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. If we died with him, then when we rise up, we ought to walk like him. We ought to talk like him. We're walking in a resurrection life, the word of God says. Knowing this, that our old man is, what? Crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We should not serve sin. Once we have been buried with him and risen to walk in his life, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. If we're not free from sin, we're not really dead. If we're free from sin, we're dead. If we're not free from sin, we're not dead. Verse 8, Now if we, be, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. You see, he's reasoning here, if, if we have died and we're still walking around, then it must be somebody else living in us now. We reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. We died with Christ. Now when we walk around, it is no longer us that lives, but it is Christ living in us. That's supposed to be the walk of the Christian. So when we walk around, like one man said, you know, if you really are full of the Holy Spirit, you come around, you bump into someone, it all splice the Holy Ghost all over them. But how many of you know this Christian you bump into, you don't get the Holy Ghost in response? How many of you have ever seen a bumper sticker that says, honk if you love Jesus, you honk and boy, they shake their fist at you and everything else. Something has taken place since they stuck that bumper sticker on there. You see, but if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're dead to ourselves and alive to Jesus Christ with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Praise God, once we are born again, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and walking with the Lord, death can no longer have dominion over us. You say, well, every Christian I know died. No, they didn't. The shell fell off. Hello, the house fell off. When you're 90-some years of age, you will feel no older than you do when you're 16 years of age. Some of you young people look at people walking around in 90-year-old bodies and say, Oh, man, that must be terrible. They're really old. No, they're not. They're just as young as you are. They're eternal. They're just walking around in an old house. And one of these days, that old house will fall off, and they'll be just as young. You can't imagine. There is no age to an eternal spirit. Now, you think about that for a while. Likewise, and I've spoken on this before, likewise reckon, that word reckon means count on it in spite of what you feel. Count on it in spite of what you feel. Well, I don't feel like I'm dead to sin. Well, count on it. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord, you die. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, well, that's not what I'm experiencing. You don't go by your experience. You go by what God says he's done for you. How many of you know that you're supposed to be saints? How many of you are saintly? How many of you know you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Oh, I don't feel like I'm in heavenly places. The Word of God says positionally you're in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you know your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life? Well, I didn't see it. You don't see it. It's by faith you receive it. The same thing. You reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, not by your circumstances, but by what God says. Now, I've got to get that through to you because it isn't what we experience that's important. What's experienced is what we believe. Abraham, you're going to have a mighty nation. Oh, come on. Look at the air sky. How many stars? You can't count them. That's how many kids you're going to have. Look at this ground. How much sand do you see? A lot of sand. That's how many kids you're going to have. Everywhere he looked, all they could see. But what was his experience? hundred years of age, no children. He could not look at his body, the Word of God says. He had to go by the promises of God. 
And you and I may be struggling through some real experiences right now, but I'm trying to get it down into your spirit. God says when you die with Christ, you are to be dead, whether you feel like it or not. You are to reckon yourself dead indeed in the sin, but alive unto God. There, you have a new source of input into your body. You're not supposed to give into the body anymore. You're supposed to say, body, you have no more control over me in Jesus' name. You have no more authority in my life. You old appetites, you old angers, and everything. you have no more control in my life. Jesus is now in control of my life. Oh, that's easy to say, Pastor. No, it's the Word. And we either believe the Word or we don't believe the Word, and the end result will be exactly what we get, what we believe. Verse 12, let's not sin. Whoa, that means you and I have a choice. Don't let sin. Don't allow sin. Don't you open up to sin. A lot of people like to blame the devil and God and everybody else. No, don't let sin reign Therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You let it reign and you'll obey it. But you choose whether you're going to let it reign or not. You say, I just can't help myself. Don't say that. God says you've got a choice. Choose what you're going to do. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If it be that God, fine. If it's going to be the other thing, remember, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. To whomsoever we yield ourselves servants to obey, his servants we become. James tells us that don't say that God tempted you. You've been drawn away by your own lust and your own evil desire. And that's why you're in the mess you're in right now, because you've allowed the flesh to take over, even though Jesus said you're to declare that flesh dead. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Again, there's the choice. Neither yield ye. It's not devil coming and grabbing you by the nap and neck, shaking you like a dog shakes a rat. Nothing like that. When I just said that phrase, this reminded me this past week, uh, I had some bird seed in a, a, a plastic garbage can in my furnace room. And somehow a rat got under my house and chewed the whole, a great big hole in the top of that lid and got down there and tore up all those bags of seeds. And I was pretty frustrated. I, I took them out and put them in a, a metal garbage can. And then I heard them rattling around there trying to get into that metal garbage can. I had a bucket up there, and I'd, I'd fed the birds with that bucket. had a little bit of seeds dust in the bottom of it. And I opened the door in there one day to get some seeds and looked in. There were two baby rats about that long in that bucket. Oh, boy. I closed the door, and I wonder why I said, hey. I picked up my little cat, Sammy, opened the door, threw the Sammy into the bucket. One rat tried to go over the top, and Sammy had him. went right out in the yard, and he, he just had himself something right quick. And, and you know, that, that rat didn't have a choice. Just bingo, that quick he had him. And there's some people that think that that's the way the devil can do with us. No, that's not the way it is at all. We have to go over to the, to the devil and say, here, you want the nap of my neck? Take me. We choose who's going to take charge of us. Now, if you don't remember anything else, you'll remember the rat story, I'm sure. But the word says, the word says that we have the right to choose who's going to grab us by the nap of the neck and direct our lives. By the way, I've gotten rid of all of them now. Neither yield to your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You choose. For sin shall not. Does it say may not, could not, probably won't? Is that what it says? Sin shall not have what? Control or dominion over you. For ye are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Many today say, well, sure, that's grace. <laughs> For God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, 
His servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were, past tense, the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being made then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Paul says something takes place when you and I repent of our sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and confess him as our Lord and Savior. We die to the old nature, the old body die, the old nature dies with Christ, and our former obligation to respond to the old nature is gone. It doesn't mean that the urge to respond to the old nature is gone. It means that uh, the requirement that we have to respond is gone. We don't have to respond anymore. It's not in charge anymore. We have been given the right to choose what we're going to do. And Christ permanently destroyed that sin nature's power that wants to control you and me. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're in the midst of defeat, that's very hard to receive, but that's the truth of God's Word, and if we'll act on God's Word, we can be free. If the Son sets us free, we're free indeed. But that doesn't mean the struggle doesn't continue. Paul the Apostle, many years after his Christian, said, that which I would do, I do not, that which I would not do, that I do. It's a constant struggle for him. He said there's only one way. Jesus Christ is going to be setting him free. And how was he going to do that? He said, until the law of the Spirit of life in Christ supersedes the law of sin and death, I'm going to have defeat in my life. What does that mean? When we begin to realize that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is greater than that power of sin and death in our bodies, and we begin to appropriate what Christ has done for us and say sin will not any longer. God's Word says sin will not control me. I, be, I come into agreement with God's Word. It will not control me in that area. He says until that happens and we supersede that law of sin and death, we're going to be in defeat. We're going to be in discouragement constantly. And you say, how are we going to do that? By faith. By faith. If God says it, I believe it, and I'm going to operate on it. I am no longer a slave. He says he set me free. I'm no longer a slave. I have been set free. And I'm free to live as a new person, and I can act on it, and I can obey the word, and I'm going to do it by faith. Not by feeling, by faith. Oh, that desire, that old appetite is still there. It's dead. Jesus said it's dead. And I am in, uh, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities of power. I have authority over all these things. And in Jesus' name, I rebuke that. Flesh, die. Flesh, you will die. You are dead, and you will not operate in my life. I yield to the Spirit of God. We don't have to keep, to, have to keep trying to die. We have to believe that we are dead. You know, it's like I tell, I tell parents a lot of times. You don't have to take authority in the home. You are authority in the home. You don't have to take control. You are the control in the home. Begin to see what God says. You have the responsibility to be in authority in that home. You don't have to keep dying. You have to realize that you are dead in Jesus Christ. You say, well, what if the devil pulls out the big guns? That's what we talked about. We have to believe and receive what his word says in contrast to what we see. And here it is again. There hath no temptation taken you and me, but such as is common to man. Every man on the face of the earth faces it. But God is derelict in his duty. What does it say? God is, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with that temptation make a way of escape so that you can bear it. God will always make a way. I don't care what the problem is. You can come back and say, Satan, you're not going to get me with that big gun because the Word says God will never put on me more than I can bear. I may not feel like I can bear it right now, but that's a lie. The Word says I can, and I stand on what the Word of God says, and I can stand against it. In Psalm 31.8, God told us that he gives the believers feet room to maneuver. When the enemy comes in, he gives us room to get around him, get away from him. 
But we have to look for it. We have to ask for it. God, you said you were going to give me room to maneuver. I believe it. I'm expecting it. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. And watch him do it. The biggest problem is many times we drag ourselves right in the middle of it and say, Oh, God, look at this mess you got me into now. No, he didn't. He promised escape. He promised room to maneuver. Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against the enemy. Now, you and I can either believe that or we can just yield to what the flesh tells us. Yield to what the enemy tells us and be defeated. See, there is victory in Jesus Christ when we operate and believe what the Word says. We have to call on Him. Jeremiah 33, 3. I learned that when I was in Bible college. Never forgotten. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Many times we don't call on Him like we ought to. I'll tell you, if you do, though, and you begin to claim what the Word says and stand on what the Word says, putting on the whole armor of God, the old habits will flee, the old relationships will be broken or, or changed. The Bible says, what fellowship hath light with darkness with Christians with demons? You don't have any fellowship with that kind of stuff. Get out of that mess. The indifference will go. When you and I come to that place, we begin to stand on the Word of God, putting on the whole armor of God, and realize we've got to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We'll come to the place where we won't just put up with sin. You know, a lot of times we play with and fondle and kind of caress and just curiously scratch at sin. The Word of God says when we're in right relationship with Him and operating by the Word, it will, we will hate sin. We will hate sin. Psalm 97.10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. I just want to say Christ has provided victory for us. There is victory for the believer today. And we can walk in victory. We can walk in joy. And when we do, when we come to that place where we're walking in obedience to the Lord, a new principle will emerge. A new principle will emerge, and that is that I, this very principle right here, I am my brother's keeper. We begin to realize not only am I to be concerned about my life, but I'm to be concerned about those around me. Paul the Apostle said, I'm a debtor to all. I'm a debtor to everyone else. I've got to realize that my life is going to influence other people. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I've known of people that have let, done good works and then let their light so shine that they, men might see their good works and glorify themselves. But all the glory has to go to God. I mean, tell you there's not one thing you and I can do in ourselves that, that's going to excite God unless we do it in the name of Jesus and as unto him. But what a privilege it is that whatever our hands find to do, we do it as unto the Lord, and then God gets the glory. If somebody comes along and says, boy, that was what a tremendous... How I thank God for the opportunity he gave me to be able to use the talents and skills he's given me to be able to... What happens? All of, all of a sudden, the Lord is exalted. Why? Why should we exalt a dead person? This old flesh just loves to glory and revel in pride and, and self-accomplishment. We have to realize outside of Jesus Christ, we have absolutely nothing. First Timothy, the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse, I want to read it to you out of the Living Bible again. Don't let anyone think little of you because you are young. Be their ideal. Follow them. Uh, let them follow the way you teach and live. Be a pattern for them in your love, your faith, and your clean thoughts. I have to read that to you again. This was Paul's admonition to Timothy. In the, out of the Living Bible. Don't let anyone think little of you because you are young. Be their ideal. Let them follow the way you teach and live. Be a pattern for them in your love, your faith, and your clean thoughts. So Paul was saying, Timothy, you have a choice of conduct here. You can live in such a way that you'll be a witness and a testimony and an ideal and a standard for other people around you. 
And just because you're young, don't use that as an excuse. People should be able to look at you and say, you know, I don't know what about that young fellow, but one thing I see, I see Jesus Christ in him. Or I see Jesus Christ in that young lady. How many of you know once in a while you see a young Christian come along and they just put the older Christians to shame? Because they've taken God in his word and they just go full steam ahead. Now, out of this, there are five basic principles for Christian living to govern our conduct I want to talk with you about. Since by faith, the law of the Spirit of Christ, of Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. I'll say it again. Since by faith, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. That's what he's talking about. The law of sin and death is no longer in operation. It's dead. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. How should it affect my life? How free am I? And if I am free, how can it affect my daily walk? As a committed Christian, first of all, will what I'm about to do have a tendency to enslave me? If I'm getting ready to do something today, I must not make a short-term decision. I must say, what will be the long-term result of me beginning allowing this in my life? I've talked to you about young ladies who have made short-term decisions and jumped into the situation, and it's like jumping out of the frying pan right into the fire, and they say, oh, made a mistake. And if I'm a Christian, I have to realize that my whole life belongs to Jesus Christ, and so something that I do here is going to affect me down here. You remember the little ad in the, uh, on the uh, television where this mechanic comes out and tells you that you need to change oil all the time in your car, and it only costs so much to change the oil? He says, you either pay now or you'll what? Pay later. If you don't put a little oil in it now, you'll pay a big bill later on. Some of you know what they're talking about. I remember years ago, a woman who had driven her car for almost 50,000 miles, believe it or not, had never changed oil. The oil was like mud in the bottom of her pan. How it didn't burn that motor up, I do not know. But the mechanic could not believe it when he looked in it. The spark plugs had not been changed. The oil had never been changed. It never had the chance, transmission check. Never had the, I don't know how that car did it. And there's some Christians that do the same thing. They don't have their daily devotions. They don't seek God's face. They don't read the word. They don't pray. They don't ask the Lord how he can use them during the day. They don't ask for the Lord's protection. And then all of a sudden, things blow up and they say, well, God certainly isn't faithful to me. You pay now or you pay later. It's a principle that cannot be broken. Will what I'm about to do have a tendency to enslave you? Look at 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12. Paul the Apostle talks a lot about this. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are what? Lawful unto me. 1 Corinthians 6.12. What's law? What does it mean, Lawful. Legal, permissible, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient or profitable. I will not be brought under the power of any. Now again, let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. I can do anything I want to if Christ has not said no. I'm free to do anything I want to if Christ has not said no. By the way, has Christ ever said don't smoke cigarettes? Has Christ ever said don't drink a beer? I can do anything I want to. Now, somebody's going to write here saying, Pastor says you smoke and drink. I'm, he, well, let me finish my message, will you? <laughs> I can do anything I want to if Christ has not said no, but some of these things aren't good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I'll refuse to if I think they might get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. 
I remember so vividly as a young boy one time starting to smoke pretty heavily and somebody came to me and said, you're going to get hooked on those things. I said, nah, I can quit them any time I want to. <laughs> no problem at all. And I remember quitting 10, 15, 20 times. It wasn't hard at all. Yeah, I quit 20 or 10 or 15 times at least. It had a grip on me. My fingers were stained. My teeth were stained. I was shaking. I couldn't even hunt anymore. I was such a nervous wreck. The doctor said I'd be dead by the time I was 22 years of age. And I was only 15. Now, he's saying here, I've got to be careful what I allow into my life lest it get a grip on me. Now, I'm talking about word, thought, deed. There are lots of people, a lot of Christians today, first of all, women that have to be very careful what they watch at home. I know some women that their whole week is ruined if somebody comes in and messes up their schedule so they can't watch as your stomach turns. I mean, they've got to go find a magazine and read it, what are the latest garbage that's happened in the last one. And, and I said to a Christian lady one time, I said, how can you watch that? I said, it's like the beds become trampolines. They jump from one bed to another with, with each other, one after another. And you're here as a Christian, you're watching that garbage. Well, I don't pay any attention to that. I thought, give me a break. Men... It's awful easy when men aren't home or they're out somewhere or they're in another town or in a motel. You remember what I told you about that hotel where they had a youth convention, I mean a Christian youth convention, where the manager said the use of the Playboy and the, the carnal, uh, carnal channels on the TV uh, rates went up. They rented more that week than they had in other weeks when there were just regular conventions there. I want to tell you something. It's a curse in the church today. Pornography. And it'll get a grip on you. It will tear you up. It will eat you up. It will destroy your home. It'll destroy your witness. Paul the Apostle says here, we must not let anything get a hold of us that will control us. There's only one thing that should control us, and that's the Spirit of God. There should be nothing in your life and mind that we can't easily stop today. Now, let me tell you something. You can, you can, get, a, you can get addicted to a lot of things. You can get addicted to money. You can get addicted to a relationship. You can get addicted to, to sports. You can get addicted to things, material things. I know of a, a woman that literally had to cut up all of her credit cards because she could not. She was addicted to go and buy stuff at the store. If she went in the store, I mean, and you know, I'm amazed. I go through these big department stores and come out with that, and I say, you know, it's amazing how many things I can get along without. I don't need all those things. And other people just go through and they just, oh, oh, this, this, this. And they'll come out with a credit card. I've known of wives who, when they were under stress, when things weren't going right at home, would go to the, and, and let me tell you something, that were not for the fact that the husband was a born-again Christian, that home would have been destroyed. She would go and run her credit cards all to the limit. Come home and she says, you didn't need all this stuff. Oh, but it just felt so good to be able to buy. Addicted. Couldn't help herself. Now, it doesn't make any difference what it is. You might say, well, I've got this thing over here. Whatever it might be, we must not as a Christian allow anything to get a grip on us that we can't be free from. Word, thought, or deed. Now, I, I read this quote one time, and I really like it. It says, the Bible does not teach that a saint is not able to sin, but that a saint is able not to sin. I like that. The Bible does not teach that a saint is not able to sin, but that a saint committed to Jesus Christ is able not to sin. We don't have to give in to these things. We don't have to let them take control over us. Let me tell you, if, if we don't respond to this and we open ourselves up by our own sins, we can open ourselves up and a stronghold can take charge in our lives before long and then we're in bondage and we can't get free from it. We have to be very careful in word, thought, and deed 
so we do not open up to a stronghold of bad habits or bad attitudes or, or allowing possessions to, to control us or bad relationships control us. I'm amazed when I hear so-called believers having a, an intimate relationship with unbelievers. I just heard this week again of a person I've known for years and who has gone through some horrendous past experiences of divorce and remarriage. And finally I thought they had gotten straightened out and then I find out now all of a sudden there's a new relationship that's now established and it's with a total non-believer. My mind just says, will not compute. You've jumped from the frying pan into the fire over and over again and jumped back out of it and said, oh, God, forgive me, and here we go again. Remember what I said about the children of Israel? Someone said it's like they had a wooden peg for a leg and they stuck it in a knot hole and went around in the circle for 40 years because they never could learn to trust God and obey God and come out of the wilderness and go on into the promised land. And there are a lot of Christians that will get that wooden leg in a knot hole and they'll go around. God said, didn't learn, go around one more time. Didn't learn, go around one more time. Didn't learn, go around one more time. And you wonder, how long does it take? God says, i got plenty of time. How about you? The Bible does not teach that a saint is not able to sin, but able not to sin because they've been set free. And if the Son sets us free, we're free indeed. And if we're free, then we must not ourselves allow ourselves to come into anything that will enslave us. The second one, will what I'm about to do build up my body, my mind, and my heart? Will what I'm about to do build up my body, my mind, and my heart? I want you to think about that one because that's what I'm going to speak on tonight. That's the second one of the five. And I believe that this first one, if we can just get this first one down this morning and get it to operate in our lives, it will transform our lives completely. Since by faith the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free, will what I'm about to do have a tendency to enslave me? Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, You foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Here Christ came and set you free and got you out of the bondage of the law and everything, and here you are jumping right back into it again. And I wonder how many times Jesus wants to say to his church, How foolish can you actually be? Here I came and made those total provisions for you to be free. I crucified the devil's power in your life and set you free so that you can be what I want you to be. Why do you go back into that same stuff that I got you out of? Why don't you make that decision that when I died, you died too? And you take authority in my name now. This body has to obey you. You say, well, it's in charge. If you say that, you're giving it permission to be in charge. To whomsoever you yield yourself, service to obey. How many times have I heard parents say, I don't know what to do with that kid. I can't do anything with that kid anymore. I said, you just acquiesced. He heard you say that. She heard you say that. Now who do you think is in charge? How many of you know the devil sitting right there on the, on the sidelines waiting for you to say, I can't do anything about that? No, but Jesus Christ has already done everything that needs to be done. And if you will yield to his spirit and repent, what does he say? If we'll confess or come into agreement with God, these things ought not to be in my life. They're enslaving me. They should not be there. If you'll come into agreement with God and ask him for forgiveness and repent of it and turn from it, he will not only forgive you, but he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll set you free. He'll break those bondages. He'll break those strongholds in your life. But we have to want to let him do it. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? Why do you call me Master? And don't obey me. That's the question he's asking many Christians today. In word, thought, and deed, are we doing things that will enslave us? When we're enslaved, how many of you know there's nothing more miserable on the face of the earth than a backslidden Christian? Nothing. Nothing. To him that knows to do good, doeth not to him that is sin. They're miserable. 
absolutely this. I mean, they're like a round peg in a square hole with sandpaper on both sides. Just no matter what you... You get a, a, an un, I mean, get a, a, a Christian husband or wife backslidden and try to live with them. I mean, whatever you say. I mean, they're born in the objective case. Their head issues, they scratch their foot. They're just... No matter what. Why? Because they know inside they're not right and they don't like themselves or they don't like anybody else around them. Nothing works. Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And that's only when we appropriate what he's done for us. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to let this body dictate to me anymore. In Jesus' name, I will be free. I am free because you already provided it for me. I just appropriate what you said in your word and it will operate in my life in Jesus' name. I'll stand, I'll grit my teeth, I'll bite the devil until I lose all my teeth and I'll gum him to death until I die. But he's not going to take victory in my life. Jesus has already won that victory. Amen? But you have to... You have to get violent. You have to get angry. I mean, you ought to be angry. I mean, the devil's been lying to you, to us, cheating us, stealing from us, come to steal, kill, and destroy. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that somehow this truth will get into our hearts this morning. That we don't have to do anything. We've already done it. We just have to act on what's already been provided. We know, Lord, you've already provided for all of our needs. My God shall supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's not a need in our life for what you've already provided for. We just need to draw. And I pray this morning that you'll give us the faith to do that. Give us the faith to reach out and say, your word says, Lord, and I agree with that, and I'll stand on it. I'm going to be what you want me to be. I, I refuse to let the enemy defeat me, discourage me, destroy me. He's not going to do it. You've already made every provision I need. You've sent the Holy Spirit. You've got the angels encamped around about me. You've made all provision. You've seated me in heavenly places with you. And this morning, I repent of all those areas of disobedience in Jesus' name. I acknowledge that it's sin. I repent of it. I renounce it. I, I turn away from it in Jesus' name. And, and Father, I claim the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I claim the resurrection life of Jesus Christ to take authority in my life, to take charge in my life. I give him permission to take charge in my life that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. And I'm going to let Christ live his life out through me. I'm dead. I'm dead. I don't have to respond anymore to the flesh. I'm going to respond to the Spirit. Any this morning say, Pastor, that's the desire of my heart this morning. I prayed right along with you just now. I want every area of my life to be totally committed to Jesus Christ. Do you raise your hand? Yes, I see that hand. Yes. God bless you. God bless you. God knows your heart. God sees your heart. Nobody else even has to know what it is, just as long as you know that God's dealing with your heart this morning. Are you up raise your hand and say, I've got an area of bondage there that I am dying to, and Jesus is going to be Lord of my life that day. Pray for me this morning. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for being so faithful to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being so faithful to us. You saw these hands, and I pray right now, and I come into agreement with them right now, that they are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, they're going to live. Yet not them, but Christ is going to live his life out through them. And we break the bondage off of them in Jesus' name. We bind the strong man over them and every principality and power, every ruler of the darkness, every wicked spirit. Those lying spirits, we bind them away from them in Jesus' name. Lord, we just appropriate, claim for them right now the life of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to set them free. Totally free. Whether it be in word, thought, or deed, 
relationship, whatever it might be, possessions, whatever it might be. Lord, we just make Jesus Lord of that area of their life right now, and they're not going to come into bondage. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 